on your part. Welcome to the On Track and Field podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayers. Be sure to check out ontrackandfield.com. They are our exclusive one and only sponsor for this podcast, and I love working with them. I'm a head coach, and I get all my stuff with On Track and Field. You need to go to their website and check them out. And at the very end of this podcast, they will let you know how to get in contact with them on social media. So On Track and Field, check them out on Twitter. Check them out on Instagram. Check them out at their website. And save 15% off when you go to ontrackandfield.com. And at checkout, just type in track talk, all one word. Pretty easy. With me today is the legend and is a living legend, Mike Boyle. He's known internationally for pioneering work in the field of sports performance. Coach Boyle is a co-owner and a content editor for strengthcoach.com, which is a great website. He's one of the world's leading resources for performance enhancement information. He currently owns and operates Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, which is literally, I've heard in many ways, and I would agree, one of the nation's first and most successful private strength and conditioning companies. He's too humble to say that, but this is going to be a fun conversation, so buckle up. Mike Boyle, coach, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Like I said, I listened to your Dan Paff one, and I thought it was great. I retweeted it, and that's what got us together here, so I'm very happy to be on. This is awesome. Yeah, I've been wanting to reach out to you for a long time. So having the excuse is great. So let's just dive right in. I mean, you've seen everything and anything in the regards to trends, um, speed performance, the way, what you do in the weight room, regardless of sport. But just like before this podcast, I was like, where do you want to go with this? And you and I agree. Let's talk about speed in sports in regards to a team environment. How are we teaching many people, especially on a team, how to get faster? Um, as I said, I'm probably going to say things that make people angry, which is okay. I think one, the major thing you do is you use all of your, your drills or your warm up. Use the drills so, in the warm up. Your drills are your warm up. So your, your speed drills, you know, whatever, high knees, butt kicks, whatever you want to call it, your dynamic warm up is going to precede sprinting. And then you sprint. I don't think, and again, I can say this with the absolute certainty of someone with 40 years in this thing. I was so wrong for 38 years of this. Then I kind of fell into Tony Holler's stuff and started looking at his sort of record rank and publish. And I had all the conventional reasons why we didn't time sprints. Number one, you know, guys are going to get hurt. Guys are going to pull hamstrings. Uh, the timing, you know, getting a timing system, getting it set up. There are all these things that you tell yourself when you're not wanting to time people. And I tell myself, well, we're running sprints. You know, we're doing all our, you know, our pal drills, lean fall run and all these you know, different start variations and all these things. What we weren't doing was moving with 100% intensity or 100% intent. And what happened most of the time is our gifted athletes were moving at a lower percentage than our not so gifted athletes. We might've had some not gifted athletes who were putting out 100% trying to keep up with the gifted ones. And we probably had a lot of gifted ones who were putting out most of the time at 80%. When you introduced the timer, when I went to Tony's, you know, record rank and publish fly 10 and everybody's critical now of fly 10 and acceleration, max velocity. I'm like, so total bullshit. Stop arguing about the minutia. One, our data is really clear. Our athletes are at top speed by 25 yards or very, very close. We're talking about their 98 to 99% top speed by 25. We know that, you know, with 15 yard fly, because we've done we tend to set it up. We do a five yard fly three weeks. We do a 10 yard fly for three weeks. We do a 15 yard fly. And then we move to 20 yard fly. 
at every increase except 15 to 20, every single person gets faster. Everyone, no one doesn't get faster from 10 to 15, but some people don't from 15 to 20. That tells you very clearly what those people are at max velocity. They're no longer accelerating that. You know, again, I say to, I argue with people all the time. It's just freaking math. Like you can't argue with math. Right. And the drop that we get 15 to 20 tends to be about 0.02%. Whereas we get about, we go from five to 10, we get a full 10th. We go from <laughs> 10 to 15, we get a 0.05. We go from 15 to 20, we get somewhere from zero to 0.02. And very, very few people who get more than 0.02. So I think, and the one, the other thing that's happened is our athletes have become way better sprinters and we don't drill. We don't do wall drills. We don't do any real sprint drills. We just warm up to sprint. We do a sprint based, whatever you want to call it, a speed based dynamic warm up, And then we run timed sprints. So I think if you've got team sport athletes and you're worried about them getting faster, you have to have them sprint. And for us, it's not a ton of sprinting. We're probably doing two to four fly tens a day, two days a week. That's it. So a max of eight, probably a minimum of four and a maximum of eight sprints. The change in our athletes is dramatic. dramatic. My son, I said this in the beginning when I first started doing it, my son dropped four tenths of a second in a month because he was really slow, but he's a really good athlete. So I think he thought, whatever. I'm a really good athlete. I'm, I'm as good as these kids at hockey. I'm as good as them at lacrosse. But when he started losing consistently in sprinting and losing embarrassingly, <laughs> he immediately got faster. Like he ran the first day, he ran a one, eight, seven standing 10. I mean, one, eight, seven standing 10 is slow. It's like sundial slow. And, uh, and then probably within a month later, he was running like one, four, seven. And what you're really doing, you know, it's like the beginning of strength training. You're taking advantage of the latent development that's so like, it's easy, the low hanging fruit, you know, people always think, Oh, I'm a genius. My kids are all getting stronger. Well, freaking, you know, curious George can have kids in the weight room the first couple of months. Everyone's getting stronger. Right. You know, because it's just, it's motor learning. That's the motor learning of actually sprinting. And I have contended that sprinting is self-organizing sprinting teaches sprinting, try to run fast against the clock, try a technique. It doesn't work. Try a different technique. It does. You learn by doing literally, as opposed to me talking to you about physics and foot plants and get your foot under your hip. I mean, think about some of the concepts we try to talk to middle school kids about in terms of sprinting. My son is a junior high school. He's just getting physics this year. So how does a kid in middle school understand physics and understand braking forces and lever arms? And they don't, right? They don't under you. We go blah, 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 blah. Talk a lot of shit. The kids have no idea what we're talking about. And then they think, okay, we're going to try to run fast, right? Right. Sorry. I, that's why I said you only need to ask one question. I think I went on for nine minutes straight. <laughs> okay. Well, I got, I got some other things. So first of all, it's really affirming because that about a couple of years ago, that's exactly what my warmup has become. We do, it's about a 12 to 15 minute warmup. <laughs> and it's basically Brian Kula has a bounce fire series and it's literally just speed drills one leg at a time. One leg every step. And then, I mean, on Twitter, I just put it out there. I saw Christian McCaffrey doing that in his warm up. Same kind of thing. The kids and the guys are getting ready to run they, and they have to do the drills. <laughs> I and see, that's where the teaching, that. that's where I teach kids too. Like, hey, let's, let's clean it up. Let's fix it up. And yeah, ours is simpler than that. Ours is literally, you know, high knee skip, high knee run, heel mm -hmm. to butt, 
you know, straight leg walk, straight leg skip, straight leg run, you know, backward run, back pedal. Like we just do yeah. a bunch of locomotive drills. So we know we're ready to sprint. And okay, then so jump I got a we question. Go. Good. In regards to timing. Now, by the way, I'm playing devil's advocate here because I time my kids and everything because they're not just racing one another. They're trying to beat themselves. And that's where the kids find the value. And not only do they see the value, but if a kid sees the value, you don't have to motivate them anymore. It becomes intrinsic. And so ranking, recording, and publishing, I mean, it's taking care of itself. And now as a coach, you're just an encourager as much as you are a disciplinarian. So in regards to timing, have you ever found that timing elite athletes can be advantageous because then they get, let's be honest, if you're doing a 10 meter fly, what's the difference between a 0.97 and a one to three tenth, but, or three hundredth rather, but kids can get, and athletes can get extremely competitive and upset. And sometimes it's almost like we're working against ourselves, working against the grain. And so is there ever a moment where you're like, all right, we're not going to time because I don't want to see the psychology of my athletes go the wrong direction. No, I, and I, we've done it now where, where I, I, I think I figured out, we probably do maybe, I think the number I came up with was, well, let's just think we have 600 kids a week, 2,400, 5,000, probably, I mean, we might do 30,000 times a summer. Like we've got a lot of kids and they all get timed and we don't see that. And, you know, again, if we do like, Hey, get better. Like if, if you feel bad, cause you know, JT's beating you. Well, freaking beat JT then. <laughs> yeah. Beat time. We don't race. That's the other thing we're talking. We never race. It's all internal. But the other thing that we do, and we're very, very adamant about this, is that you don't run if you're sore. So if anybody says, hey, you know, because our kids are all, again, team sport kids, multi-sport. You know, we get kids coming from the, they'll come in on Monday. They might have played six lacrosse games over the weekend. If they come in, they're like, ah, my hip flex is a little sore. My hamstring's a little sore. We're going to not sprint. We're going to take the Dan Path route. Dan's always like, get on the bike and do something fast. So we'll get on the bike and try to have them do some stuff at 90 RPMs. Like, okay, crank the assault bike up to, you know, do some 10, 20, 10 on 20 off, try to hit, you know, 80, 85, 90 on your sprint. So you get some rapid turnover, but you don't get any stress. We've also found now that kids can sled sprint when they're sore because they just, the velocities are down. The velocity is, you know, 66% generally speaking in, in where we're sled sprinting. And that generally isn't enough to, to make them painful. So <laughs> we have not be negative and we've been doing, my son and his friends have run time tens twice a week for more than, I think for four years without missing. Hmm. Well, it's not just, it's not just high school kids or collegiate athletes. I mean, my youngest is eight and my, I have a daughter that's 10. They've been doing it for three years now doing fly tens twice a week at least and having a blast doing it. And my daughter's running as fast as in fifth grade as, you know, my sixth grader boy was at that age because they're just running all the time and they find joy in it. And I constantly am writing down their marks. So what do you time with? Are you using free lap device? No, we have um, the arena gate. I don't know if you've seen the arena gate. The arena gate timer is awesome. Because it's really inexpensive. It's under $600. And it doesn't have a, a, a hand start capability, really. They say it does, but it's not great at that. Uh -huh. It's perfect for flies. For 600 bucks, you get two sets of sensors and the, you know, the tripods, four tripods. It sets up. It works. It's extremely consistent. So that's what we're using. And we just we keep now. We have a sprint lane on the floor. It's on the floor all the time. We just turn it on when it's time to to start running. And I mean, we've got, 
we do it. We've got Olympic uh, women's ice hockey. They time twice a week. Uh, National women's lacrosse players. They time twice a week. Everybody that we have baseball times twice a week. You know, our pro baseball guys time twice a week. We had one of our pitchers at one point had the second fastest home to first time on the Dodgers as at 36 years old. Get out of here. Wow. Yeah. And you know, because they have to hit in the national league and because he sprints mm -hmm. and they actually put it up one day on the, you know, like on the Dodgers website that he had had the second fastest home to first time of the team, 36 year old pitcher, but we sprint. I mean, and, and again, you can get into, <laughs> excuse me, the whole, I mean, all of Tony's stuff, it's the most powerful stimulus you can apply to the neuromuscular system. There's nothing where you're moving faster. It's literally, it's your highest level of plyometric. There's so many pluses. And then you get into like JB Marin's work as sprinting as a vaccine, right? So now you look and think there's probably no greater hamstring injury prevention technique than full speed sprinting. There's, there's so many reasons to do it. And that's what I love about the internet is people love to get on the internet and argue now about why you shouldn't do it. I look at that and think, this is the craziest shit I've ever heard in terms of now people are arguing against sprinting because someone like Tony has gotten famous because of sprinting. And some people do it. I honestly think they do it to be just to be contrarian. They just want to be able to disagree with somebody. So suddenly they look at this and think, oh, I'll disagree with Tony. You know, oh, you shouldn't sprint all the time. And I'm like, and, and but it's like everything, everything that I realized, you know, and again, you said you're, what do you say? You're 39. Oh yeah. 39. yeah so you're still a kid. Oh, thanks. Right, I'm 62. <laughs> Been doing this literally for 40 years. And it is just amazing to me that people will automatically assume the contrarian view. Just, <clears throat> and I think it's a combination of jealousy and stupidity, right? Instead of just looking, one of the things I've been really good at my whole career is knowing when someone else was right and changing my mind. I used to get criticized all the time. People say, oh, he's always changing his mind. And I used to, you know, I've done tons of lectures and I said, you know, that's the greatest criticism people can give me because I get criticized for learning. I get criticized for getting better. People are like, he's always getting better. And I'm mad at him for it because he's always changing his mind. And I tell people, I thought I was right, right to the moment I knew I was wrong. Because I'm always doing what I think is the best thing to do. I'm never doing something that I think is bad for my athletes. Mm -hmm. I'm doing what I think is the best thing to do. But if someone, like I said, you know, you meet a guy like Tony and I really, you meet is, a, you know, I met him on the internet, really. I met him by reading his writings. But I started thinking about it and saying, hmm, Tony's probably right. I had a coach on my staff who I fought with. I didn't do it. He wanted me to do it. Steve Bunker. <coughs> Excuse me. I always have a, a slide in my presentations apologizing to Steve because he was <laughs> Steve was into Tony stuff and Chris Corpus stuff before I was. And he was always like, we need to be running time tens. And I'm like, it's Steve. It's a pain in the ass. Setting the timers up is a pain in the ass. I don't want anybody pulling hamstrings. That's a pain in the ass. It's and, you know, uh, I looked at it now and I think Steve was right. I was wrong. Tony was right. I was wrong. And our athletes are better for it. Well, there's one thing that I've read by you and I have adopted it. And I even put it on my, my Google spreadsheet with my entire plan for sprint, you know, performance and all this stuff. It's show me a better way and then I'll do it. And I've heard you say that. And you're saying the same thing. Like if you could show me a good way to do something, then I'll throw out whatever I was doing because that makes most sense. And by the way, what you and I both know, Tony, Tony Holler, feed the cats. He's a, him and Chris Corpus are brilliant 
And I'm friends with both of them, met them. You're going to meet them, especially by this podcast. I'm going to send it to Tony, and you'll be speaking at the next TFC 2022. I already did. I did the virtual one. He's been out here. I brought him out to the facility to talk. In, oh, that's uh, great. Maybe two years ago when I first started reading it, I called him up and I said, hey, will you come out and talk? I'll pay for you. To, I'll pay you. I'll pay for your flight, pay for your hotel. He came out. I always say the crazy thing is Tony and I look alike. We are the same age. We're the same bald <laughs> 60-something-year-old guy with glasses. We're almost literally identical in age. And he's one of these guys. Tony didn't become famous until he was in his 50s. He'd been out there grinding away, you know, coaching football and coaching basketball and coaching track for a really long time. And then he hit a nerve with this feed the cats idea. And he's really, they always joke about, they've started a movement. They've got people, they've got a lot of people sprinting and they've got a lot of people getting faster. And I think it's what they're doing inadvertently is they're helping track, which I think they wanted to do that, which is fine because I think track needed a good shot in the arm anyway. I'm not a fan in general of track, because I think track, I used to always joke when I was in college, was that track is about a coach telling you you're too slow for a distance and moving you up and making you run more. So, you know, <laughs> if you were a, if you were a bad 200 guy, they looked at you and said, you'd be good in this, you'd be good in the four. You know, let's just log, log some more miles and we'll make it into 400 runner. If you were okay in the four, but not great, hey, we're going to move you up to the eight. Like no one ever got anybody fast in track that I saw. Well, All now they, I got to convince you. Now, now my sole purpose <laughs> in life is it's, Make sure I whatever I do in life is going to convince Coach Mike Boyle that track and field is good and good yeah. over here. Well, and it's funny because everything is all your own experience. And my experience was we never had in the Northeast, we've never had sprinters. And all we've done is simply taken people and move them up in distance and make them run slower, longer. Because that's easier. That's just hard work. There's not a lot of thought and innovation that needs to go into that as much as there is grinding and that's you know tony's the anti-grinding guy too i hate to talk it's my i'm on the podcast but i'm talking about tony but tony's been a really big influence for me well yeah not just you there's a lot of people and so can, i want to go back because you did say something and i wrote it down is talking about when the athletes show up and they're sore and you're like we're not going to sprint you because we don't want you because that is where the pulled hamstrings or things are going to happen because the kids aren't ready to give their best effort regardless of how hard they're going to try, your body's just not ready to do it. So can you give me some of the things you like to do besides, you know, the damn path plan B where the kids are doing rudiment series dribbles and they're on the bike. I mean, what are some of the things you're doing with these kids when they come into you sore and you don't want to sprint them, but you want them to get faster. Everything they do, everything but the time sprint. Okay. So the kids, so, you know, in time sprints for us, literally three minutes, maybe that's how much time we're actually spending on speed in an hour. But that kid will get all the way to the actual 100% effort stuff. And then it's like, nope, you're out. And that kid walks in the other room, hops on the assault bike, bangs out four or five high-speed sprints, comes back. Everybody else is done sprinting. They jump right back in where they were. So there's very little modification done, except I'm not going to ask you for that 100% effort in sprinting. Because you're right. That's where invariably everybody who gets hurt, I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with someone when they pulled a muscle or got a little tweak who said, yeah, I felt it a little bit on the one before. Yeah. Right. And I always said, that's what I'm trying to get across to my kids. If you feel it a little bit, I don't want you to do another one. There is no one after the one where you feel it a little bit. So if you're going to get hurt, you're going to get hurt on the first one that you do. And you're going to get hurt because you didn't listen to me and you were sore in the warm up. And, and I have to have conversations sometimes with people, you know, they're like, I told you so. I've told you this. I told you you can't do it. You're not. What I'm trying to get my kids to look at really 
is the long-term gain. Missing one day of sprinting isn't going to hurt you. Missing eight to 10 days of sprinting for the four or five weeks you have to take off when you get a major muscle pull, that's going to hurt you. So trying to get, you know, and that's what's, again, great about like what Tony's talking about in terms of getting out of the grinding thing. I always tell, like I jokingly say, hey, most heroes are dead. You know what I mean? Like they don't, you know, this is, you don't want to be, you don't want to be a hero here in your high school workout. You want to be smart. You want to realize I'm going to live to, to run another day as opposed to get hurt and be out of competition or be out of workouts or whatever it is. So it's, um, it's not that complicated, but it is a process of teaching kids to understand their body. And again, we get some kids, um, you know, <laughs> um, who have a little bit of trouble because then they get too soft and all of a sudden they know I never want to run. I'm always sore. And so you, you may have to coax that kid back into like, okay, let's try one and see what you feel like. But I'd rather have that than the reverse. I'd rather have, I don't want someone, I always tell them, I don't get impressed by stupidity, right? You don't impress me by being dumb and running hurt and then limping around and telling me, yeah, I was kind of sore, but I wanted to do it anyway. That's not impressive. That's just dumb. You're just, okay, I'm dumb. And I just illustrated for you how dumb I was and now I'm hurt. So we try to, we really, and again, it happens a couple of times during the summer, even with our pro group, a couple of times during the summer, I'll have guys who are like, oh man, I tweaked my hip flexor a little bit. And I'm like, well, you saw before and they're like, yeah, but I wanted to run. And I'm like, that's what we got to get out of that habit of, I don't care that you want to do it. I'm really happy that you're like a go-getter and you want it and you want to do it, but that doesn't get us where we need to go. That just gets us hurt. I tell the kids, I can't coach stupid. And I mean, and I love them and I tell them, but they have to be able to talk to me. And then I can make the, as the coach, make the, the final call of how much they're going to do. But also, yeah, like you said, it's a lot easier to rein a horse back than, you know, push it forward. And right. so yeah. it's the old, you know, get the toothpaste back in the tube thing. You know, it's real hard to do. You know, you're much better off if you don't squeeze it out, you don't have to try to get it back in. So <clears throat> yeah, I'm with you on that. In fact, um, it's great. Gosh, I think I could talk to you for another four hours. You're, you're, Awesome. This is so fun and entertaining. Well, we can certainly do another one. I know you're going to, you're trying to keep these things to, <clears throat> to half hours. So maybe if you get one more question, it'll probably take me five minutes to answer that. And then we'll have hit that 30 minute mark. So you don't lose your audience where they start saying, he said it was going to be a half hour and these things are yeah. going. <laughs> well, I guarantee you people are not getting out of their car right now because they want to hear what you're going to say. All right, let me do one more thing. So in regards to team sports, you have a bunch of people coming from all these different sports and there's a lot of them and you're trying to make sure that they're running fast and they're doing these things, but how much in the weight room, especially when they're sore, when, when they're hurt, what are you doing in the weight room? Are you still having them deadlift? Are you still having them do the things you need them to do? Or has it become a rehab center? Uh, no, generally, like I said, most times if someone comes in, like from a sprinting standpoint, and says, Hey, my hamstring's a little tight. My hip flex is a little tight. That will not affect what they do in the weight room at all. <clears throat> so it would be really rare that we would modify the, the weight workout, but I'll tell them the same thing. If you feel it on your warm-up sets, then we're not going to do it. <clears throat> so if I got a kid who says his hamstring is a little tight and we're deadlifting that day with trap bar deadlifting and they say they feel it, I'm always like, if you feel it, it's a problem. So we're not going to do it. And we're going to, but we never do not. The worst case is we only work the other leg. That's the absolute worst case. So, you know, if somebody's, you know, really done something to their quad, Okay, you know, we're just going to one leg squat on the other leg. Someone's really done something to their hamstring. Okay, 
we're only going to do, you know, skater squats or something along that line on the other leg. But in general, it's very rare that we make big modifications in the lifting program, but it's not rare at all that we have kids who come in and they're sore and they don't sprint. Like they, they know that a hundred percent on the velocity spectrum is not going to feel good. A hundred percent on the strength spectrum, you know, low speed because usually, and I forget who said this, but somebody said, you know, speed of movement is the enemy in terms of when you're talking about the muscular system. So you're very rarely going to get hurt doing something slow. So it's really unusual. The, the time you get hurt, the only time you get hurt in the weight room is when you hurt your back. That's why I'm not a big squat person, but I've seen people hurt their back doing slow squatting, but I've never seen anybody hurt a muscle in the weight room doing non-ballistic strength training. Like I've never seen somebody ever, you know, pull a hamstring doing deadlifts, you know? So, oh my God, I think I pulled my hamstring. It never happens. So as what we've got to be careful of, and it maybe it was Boosh next data, but I think it was, you know, Boo was talking about hamstring rehab. And he basically talked about all hamstring rehab is really is a velocity continuum. You know, so you start somebody walking, then you get somebody jogging, then you get somebody doing some tempo stuff. And basically if they tolerate, they just keep tolerating the increase in velocity until you get to max velocity. And if you get them back to where they can tolerate max velocity, then you've solved their hamstring problem. And again, that's, that's an oversimplification, but it really is what he said. He's another brilliant guy. You know, I've been, and I, well, the one thing I'm very lucky, I've been around a lot of brilliant people and I'm a pretty good listener. I can figure out right away who knows more about a topic than I do. And I make sure that I pay attention. And then I don't get, the biggest thing is I don't get territorial. I don't get offended. I don't, what I, what I think is wrong with a lot of people in the strength and conditioning field is that instead of learning, they dig in to defend their turf. So if I'm a back squat guy and they hear me talk, they dig in. Instead of thinking, oh, wow, Mike Boyle's been at this for 40 years. He used to be a power lifter. His athletes all used to squat. Now they don't do it anymore. I wonder why. Instead, they go to that Mike Boyle is a pussy. Mike Boyle, you know, he's afraid of everybody getting hurt. Mike Boyle's soft. You know what I mean? They go to a million things besides thinking, wow, why does he think like that? And I remember seeing <clears throat> Stuart McGill coming back to our staff and saying, uh, you know, Good news, bad news. Good news, I just learned a shitload about core training. Bad news is we're scrapping about 90% of what we <laughs> Yeah. And everybody's yeah. like, what are you talking about? You know, what are you talking about? No more crunches. What are you talking about? No more Russian twists. I'm like, I'm talking about no more crunches. I'm talking about no more Russian twists. That a lot of the stuff that we were doing isn't good. It's the wrong stuff. We're going to get rid of the wrong stuff and we're going to put in the right stuff. And it, even in my own staff, again, people would get very territorial about, you know, why do we have to change? I'm like, we have to change because we're going to do the best thing that we can do for our athletes all the time. That's the, that's the job. That's what we're getting paid for. So we need to stick with that thought process. Hey, show me a better way and then I'll do it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm hundred percent for it. Show me a better way. Show me a faster way. I mean, you know, that's what you're looking for. You know, people talk about, you know, maximum benefit, minimum load. Show me the best way to get strong with the least amount of weight. I'm doing it because I know the weight is the problem, right? Mm -hmm. just went off of you. It doesn't matter. You anyway. <laughs> um, hey, but let's just end with that. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by On Track and Field. And my, my guest is Coach Mike Boyle. You can follow him on social media. You can go to his website, strengthcoach.com. He is a great follow. He's a lot of followers. And uh, he's constantly putting things out there to make us all better. He's 62 years old. And if you heard on this podcast, there's a lot of humility. He's still learning. The man has not peaked 
and he's making us all better because of it. So coach, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you very much for having me. I got to go coach a group. Awesome. Take care, man. Okay. See ya. Thanks for listening to the On Track and Field podcast with this week's guest, Mike Boyle. The On Track and Field podcast is brought to you by RelayBatons.com. Competition and meet legal custom engraved relay batons, water bottles and tumblers, and OnTrackAndField.com. For all your track and field and cross-country needs, be it competition or practice, OnTrackAndField.com has got you covered. And save up to 15% on your entire order when checking out. Just use the promo code TRACKTALK and make sure to follow us on our socials at on track the letter and field at on track and field on twitter and the gram <laughs> <laughs>